If you were living in Israel during the time of King David's reign, you would constantly be aware of wars and rumors of war all around you. It would be very regular for you to, as an Israelite, be unceasingly praying to Yahweh on behalf of your kinsmen, your fellow Israelites, to succeed in battle for the safety and for the protection of the people of God. This is surely the case because as the king of Israel goes, so goes the people. Their hope, of course, was was in Yahweh, but they looked circumstantially at David's victories in battle as the very barometer of Yahweh's favor upon them as a nation. If you stick your finger there at Psalm 20 and turn back to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 21, this is an interesting couple of verses that really attest to this idea of the barometer of Israel's king being the barometer of God's very favor in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. Listen to this, there was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary, and Ishbi Binab, one of the descendants of the giants, remember the giants of the land? This is one of those, one of the descendants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze. That's a big spear, heavy one. And who was armed with a new sword, fought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle Notice this, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. See the connection there? If the king is defeated in battle, the country goes by the wayside. If the king is triumphant, then the lamp of Israel is still lighted. That's the point. And so with this in mind, I want us to look at Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, because these particular psalms are unique in that the people of Israel are instructed to pray to Yahweh for their king, that's Psalm 20, and then King David himself prays to Yahweh as the one upon whom Israel must rely for their victory in battle, that's Psalm 21. Listen to Psalms 20 and 21. To the choir master, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord And through the steadfast love of the the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, Though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Now again, if conventionally people are not used to praying for the destruction of someone else, This might uh, be foreign to your ears. It might be something with which you could struggle. But remember, this this is a people who had been continually besieged. All of these warring nations around them who all want that same plot of land. Even to this very day, that land is hotly disputed, right? Even Jerusalem itself right now, even that very holy place where that dome of the rock is situated is occupied by the three great religions of the world. Judaism, Islam, Christianity. And everybody within those confines wants that valuable piece of property. And it was was true even of that day. And so these Israelites learned how to pray for their own protection through their king to their God. Notice how this particular psalm is structured. Look at verses 1 to 5. 1 to 5. We could call this Israel's prayer for the king's plans and petitions. Israel's prayer for the king's plans and petitions. In other words, what you have is David has certain plans, certain battle plans, certain petitions, certain prayer requests that he wants to bring before Yahweh. And so he probably does something like this. He shares, not everything of course, because we're talking about battle, but he shares in some general detail so that his fellow Israelites could pray for not only his strategy, but for his person, for the king. 
because he's the lamp of Israel. And they want to pray so that this king and his armies will protect the normal people, the -the run-of-the-mill Israelites. And so he, in a sense, gives prayer requests to them, and they want to pray. And here's how they pray. Look at verse 1. May Yahweh protect you, King David, in the day of trouble. So they're praying. This is David's psalm, but it's their prayer. This is is the nation of Israel praying for David. And by the way, I want you to see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven mays in verses 1 to 5. You see how it starts out? May the Lord, may the name, may He send, may He remember, may He grant, may we shout, may the Lord. A lot of maze going on. These are prayer requests, right? These are intercessions. And the first one is, may Yahweh protect you, King David, in the day of trouble. Because verse 1 says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. This is a, a prayer for David's protection because they know If it's a prayer for David's protection in war, it'll be a protection for them. And by the way, when Israel prays for David's protection, the phrase, protect you, could also be translated, set you on high. Set you on high. Which means high above the fray, above the battle. It has the connotation that they're praying that David would be safe and secure from harm, in the midst of the battle. He'd be out of harm's way. And notice how they do it. Look at the second part of verse 1. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now why would they they use that particular idea for their prayers? May the name of the God of Jacob. What does Jacob have to do with this? Well, you say Jacob is, of course, the patriarch from which... His name was changed from Jacob to what? To Israel. And yet, there's probably something behind this. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. You, of course, if you've read through the book of Genesis, you probably know what I'm about to read here. This is Genesis 38. Uh, Look at, uh, for instance, uh, excuse me, Genesis 28. Genesis 28. This is probably... Very familiar territory to you. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Jacob, who of course later becomes Israel by name, left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is Jacob's dream. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now you know why they're praying to the God of Jacob. Because 
the God of Jacob has promised Jacob this land. And that's the land they're fighting over. And so they're saying, remember that promise that was made to our forefather Jacob? Then we're asking you, God, to fulfill your promise to Jacob and now for our king. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Because there's a promise here. There's a covenant here. Look at Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. No wonder they're praying that the God of Jacob would protect them, just like Jacob himself asked God to protect them. So this is a prayer of protection. Should we ourselves no less ask for our country and for those who are defending us protection? Of course we should. We absolutely should. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 20. Here's another prayer request. It's praying to God on behalf of David, their king, may Yahweh help you, King David, by giving support from his dwelling place. Verse 2. May He send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Zion's Jerusalem. The heavenly city, the holy city, the sanctuary there. That was where the localized presence of Yahweh was inhabiting. And they were interceding for their king to receive support for what he desperately needs. This is is the way we could pray. Lord, from your heaven, the heaven of heavens. Now, we don't have it localized, of course, in Zion and Jerusalem, but we can say, Lord, you're the only one from your sanctuary who can help us. And believe you me, if in the United States of America there was an utter onslaught of military activity for the conquest of our country, we'd be praying prayers like this. Right? We absolutely would. Look at their next prayer request, verse 3. May he remember all your offerings, implied David, and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. This This is their request that Yahweh would regard David's sacrifices with favor. These are are offerings that David is offering to the Lord, according to Leviticus 1 and 2, which, if acceptable to God, would result in a sweet aroma of those burnt offerings in the nostrils of God, ascending to heaven as an acceptable sacrifice. 
Indeed, even the Hebrew word used in verse 3 here, regard with favor, is translated literally as find a sacrifice fat. Make it fat. In other words, it has to be this symbolic fatness of this animal being offered to God because you found the best, the best animal you could have. And you offered that fat animal to the Lord as a sacrifice because of your level of seriousness with which you're praying to God. wouldn't simply mean that the animal was the best, but that the worshiper was coming with a heart of faith and that he was sincere and that he was coming to God with the best sacrifice he could possibly bring. And they're saying, David, bring the best sacrifice because we want this to be a sincere offering to God so that he would answer our sincere prayers. You remember 1 Samuel 15.22, the prophet Samuel, Samuel said to King Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Right? You're not just offering the best Uh, fattest offering you can because your trust is in the offering. It's the the offering of your heart, the sincerity of your heart. 1 Chronicles 21-24, I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings which cost me nothing. These, These are sincere prayers. Psalm 51, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Those are the kinds of prayers we need to offer to the Lord. Lord, I'm offering you a sincere, broken, lowly, contrite heart because I really want you to answer these prayers. You'd be praying those kinds of prayers if our country was under siege. Israel was. That's why they're praying that way. And notice he says, Selah. It's a liturgical term of some kind that probably means something like this, pause, reflect, meditate. And I think probably in this case, pray. Pray. Take time to pray. May the Lord answer. May the God of Jacob protect. May He send you help. May He remember all of your sincere, by-faith offerings and regard with favor your request. Pause and pray. Pause and pray. Verse 4. May God grant you your inmost desires. And may He fulfill all your battle plans. That's what verse 4 means. May He grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. Making plans and strategies for victory. And I think in this transition, verse 5, they give another may request, but here it's quite different. This is a may we. This is not may you, David. May you, God, for David. This is a may we. And it has a prayerful, confident expectation of joyous victory. May we shout for joy over your salvation. Deliverance. 
Deliverance in battle. Victory. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. Victorious. Well, that's what you're praying for. I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't alive. But man, I've seen those old reel-to-reel tapes just like you have when World War II was at its height. And it was a tough time for this country, wasn't it? Tough time. Our country was under siege, and believe you me, there were people who were praying this way. We want to shout for joy, God, over your deliverance. We want to set up our banners that we were victorious. This is is the kind of praying that we ought to pray. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. And then the psalm takes a turn. And I think in verses 6, 7, and 8, it's King David himself praying. They've prayed, verses 1 to 5, and now David himself is praying. I think it's very possible that King David himself is responding to the people's prayers in verses 1 to 5. Look at verse 6. Now I know. See the, see the shift? The pronoun? Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer him from His holy heaven. David is saying, the Lord will answer me. How will He do so, David? Verse 6, with the saving might of His right hand. The right hand is the the seed of power. uh, The seed of the, the strong. The right hand. They were mostly right handed, of course. The idea of being right-handed was that you had your battle sword in your right hand and you were unleashing that sword with a fury because you needed God's saving might through you. You needed His power. God, answer from your holy heaven by your delivering might, the very strength of your mighty hand of power. That's what you pray for in a time of great need. We may not be in a time of war right now per se, or at least that war is so far from us, we get detached from it. But it's no less real. And then verse 7. And this might even be the very theme of this psalm. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses. But here's Israel's God. We trust in the name of of the Lord our God. That's what the title of this psalm, at least in my book, is we trust in Yahweh our God. We don't trust in chariots. We don't trust in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh our God. That's who we trust in. I mean... We look at our military might, and if you look on the internet or at times on the television, and you see those who are just absolutely astonished at the military inventions of our government, and they could be defeated in a moment if we put our trust in those things, right? We put our trust in Yahweh God. No one else and nothing else. That's our trust. By the way, the Hebrew word for trust 
in that verse 8, verse 7, excuse me, latter part of verse 7, is related to the earlier word in verse 3, to remember. And it has to do with keeping your remembrance of Yahweh as uppermost in your mind so that your confidence, your trust, isn't slipping to the level where you're trusting in your armor or your weaponry. That's so easy to do. When you've got outfitted for you and for your army all the best, all the current technology, and you trust in that, he says you better make this your constant remembrance, your trust in Yahweh. That ought to be your mindset. That's, that's what you need to do, whether it's in battle or peacetime. We don't trust in anything else other than the Lord our God. Psalm 33 says it so very well. Psalm 33, verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. And then this, verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So whether you're talking about famine, whether you're talking about wartime, or whether you're talking about you and me just trying to get through this week, right? That's it. Whatever it is, from the most mundane to the most significant, you and I are saying, we don't trust in any of that. We trust in the Lord our God. You remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5? Look, we are destroying lofty speculations raised up against the knowledge of God, against that which is not true about our God. And uh, we are destroying those speculations, not by carnal weaponry. We don't trust in it. We don't try to uh, out-seduce the seducer. What we do is we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we do. Our, our weaponry is spiritual. And the greatest weapon that we have is the Word of God and prayer. That's what we have to pray on Sunday nights. That's what we have to pray about our church. That's why we have to pray and ask God to deliver us from the evil one and to do what He wants us to do. And it certainly isn't to use carnal weapons to achieve spiritual ends. Verse 9. Verse 9. Those enemies, they collapse and fall, but Israel is... Rising and standing upright. Why? Because verse 9 says, O Lord. Here's the prayer. Here's probably the prayer of both the people and David. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when, when we call. This is, that, this is that, that concluding prayer. O Yahweh, save the king. Let the Lamp of Israel continue to shine. You know, this, this reminds me of 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 
Let's turn to 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is, this is what we ought to pray about tonight. This is the way we ought to pray. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, toward our God, toward the Son of God, that if we ask anything, this is prayer then, this is our context, this is that confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know, we know, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Now that's confident praying, isn't it? That's confident praying. That's not cocky praying. Confident praying. You're praying to the right God, the Son of God, the one who you may know so that you may have eternal life, according to verse 13, the confidence that you have toward Him that if you ask anything according to His will, which means He's God and we're not, and we submit to His will, not our own, He hears us. He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, in our context, yes, we pray for our government. Yes, we pray for our military. And spiritually speaking, we pray to our God through Christ so that Christ would bring his kingdom, and I hope he brings his kingdom tonight. I hope he brings it tonight. That would take a huge burden off my shoulders. Everything you're praying about, everything you're concerned about, everything that vexes you, confuses me, challenges us. I want to pray that Philippians 2 prayer that Christ, the exalted one, would be seen by creation, the universe, as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And I want Him to be exalted in the eyes of every single person tonight. I want Ephesians 1. I want that prayer of Ephesians 1 where Paul says that Jesus, this Lord of lords, He's ruling over every power and every dominion and every evil being of the universe, including Satan and all of his minions, because I don't want them walking to and fro on the earth seeking some Christian to devour. I don't want you to be devoured. I don't want to be devoured. Let's, let's, let's pray this way. Not cocky prayers, confident prayers. It's okay as Christians to use Psalm 20 to pray. As I close, Dale Ralph Davis hits the nail on the head when he says about Psalm 20, I'm not saying that nations should not have military material for their defense. He says, the flaunted resources of human power can be very fragile and flimsy. The people of God are charged not to place their trust there. They must take a different position. 
We must shun our favorite props and our most cherished substitutes and keep running into the tower of Yahweh's name. Our whole lives seem to be experiments, he says, in learning not to trust our artificial supports. Again and again, we have to learn that, the only, that, that only the nail-scarred hands of the resurrected Jesus are adequate to hold us up. So true. Let's pray. Father, we are asking for You to come before us. Father, as we do, we want to pray. And we want to pray vigilantly and with Holy Spirit power. Please let us do so, Lord for your glory, for the protection of your people, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. In his name, amen.